Welcome back to The Mark Steiner Show. I'm Imani Spence, producer for the show, and I'm here with Sheila Gaskins, who is, <laughs> um, who's been on our show many times. She is founder of Art Partide, performance artist, poet, stand-up comic, member of the Theater Action Group, um, member of also of Alternative Roots, where she recently ran a grant, the CAP grant, where she produced to help her produce Last House Standing, which, if anyone remembers, was aired on our show a few months ago. And she also wrote and directed Last House. And also Daryl Ratcliffe. Hello, hello. Hey, who is a social practice social practice artist based in Dallas, Texas, co-founder of the Ash Studios, member of the Michelada Think Tank, and recent recipient of artist awards from the Dallas Museum of Art, Nasher Sculpture Center, and the Office of Cultural Affairs in Dallas. Yes. Very accomplished people that we have here today. Yeah, it's good hearing you on here. <laughs> oh, thank yes. you. Yes, welcome, welcome, Imani Rocks. <laughs> what? Thank you. Thank you very much. Always Seriously. love the compliments. Um, but they're here to talk a little bit about um, a program at the Walters Art Museum. It's called the Ted Lowe Panel uh, Lecture Series. So tell us a little bit about that from your perspective. Go ahead, Daryl. Well, so great. You know, I think... I'm super excited to be in Baltimore, and I think it's a city that has a lot in common with where I'm from, Dallas, Texas, and I can be more excited to be in conversation with Sheila because this is a woman who I've uh, been able to observe from afar via the internet and the web and the social media, Um, so it's an honor to uh, kind of talk about the work that we all care about so much, which is uh, cultural equity. Yes, yes, yes. And tell me more, tell me more. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, welcome to Baltimore. I hope uh, we're treating you kindly and nice. Um, So, you know, guys, we've been talking about this arts equity uh, division for quite some time, um, and it's going on two years now, and we want to know, is it working? Um, are we making strides? Uh, are things changing? And that's one of the biggest questions that's been happening. And I can honestly say that there is a change. However, it, it's still a lot of work to do, um, especially in Baltimore. Um, I know that when apartheid started, like two years ago, one of the issues was that you would go to a play or dance recital and the audience would be either all white or all black. And my white artist friends would go, Sheila, why is your town so segregated? I was like, what are you talking about? I went to a play and it was just all white people there. And and it shocked me. That happened to me recently. Yeah. (laughs) And and that's still happening. And I'm sure it might happen in other towns too. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the difference is that now there are vehicles uh, that are aware of it and are really, really trying hard to change those dynamics. And I, and I, when I say that, I think of Ada and Lab Bodies, um, who are doing this wonderful performance art, and it's you. There's no telling who will be in the audience, um, and and we're taking that and running with it. And I, I've seen a lot of theaters who have been, you know, crossing um, territories. Um, but the the biggest issue is that still black people still are, are not owning these spaces. Um, they still are not able to get uh, permits to have performances that are predominantly black. Um, they still need to be able to create some some funds 
um, based on these type of shows. And that's still very um, hidden and still discriminatory. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something that I've thought about a lot. And I think that with you, Daryl, coming from Dallas, do you kind of see the same dynamic happening at play in Dallas? Yes. I mean, I think it's been really interesting because there's so many cities right now that are tackling this issue, um, which is not a new issue. It's a, it seems like a perennial, you know, almost like locusts every seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we had to tackle this issue. Um, but, um, you know, Dallas, you know, is, is, is a majority person color city, which a lot of people don't know. Um, it's black, it's Latino and white. And so um, we're in the middle of a project called Decolonize Dallas mm. right now. And um, it's kind of a pilot edition over a month of April. But, you know, we're looking at contested neighborhoods outside the center because there's like a center arts district where all the major uh, arts arts institutions are. And so we're looking like how do you decenter both geographically, but also how do you decenter whiteness um, inside of a cultural arena that's been dominated by whiteness. And, um, you know, it's been really interesting thus far. We had an artist have some work taken down, uh, you know, kind of censored politically. Uh, and so uh, next week, the conversation, I think, will be all about that. But, um, you know, but those, it reminded us that this process, uh, equity decolonization, is, isn't easy. And mm, it's, no. uh, it's, it's hard work. It's going to take a long time. It didn't happen overnight. It's not going to be solved overnight. Um, but that's why it's so great to have these moments and these conversations where we can learn from each other and, um, you know, kind of be encouraged. Yeah. Well, it seems like you guys have the city behind you or some people with power, <laughs> um, which is lacking on this end because apartheid is pretty much me and eight other women and uh, we have our regular jobs. Uh, I tried to get a yeah. grant. And that apartheid. happen. <laughs> oh. uh, but they're like, so we're having these conversations and we are just volunteering and we are staring a pot, just regular grassroots no money behind it. Um, and it appears that, that is that the case for you you guys? It seems like uh, so, somebody is yeah, investing. No. Yeah, no. Which we're, is awesome. Would like to happen in Baltimore. That wouldn't be nice. Yeah, we're, um, you know, thankful, I think, when we started, of course, there was no money. And that was, I think, one of the reasons why we started was because there was no funding. Like, just in general, like, not even, like, for social justice or just no funding, like, mm. for any artists anywhere, right, right. right, in the city, uh, through the city of Dallas at that time. Um, and so a lot of the kind of support that we now have is because of successful organizing. Hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, we got individual artist grants. We got cultural equity grants through the city, um, which uh, has supported some of the work. Um, and then have made some allyships with uh, universities, Southern Methodist University and like Arts Dallas, uh, led by uh, Clyde Valentine. Uh, the Embry Family Foundation has been a huge supporter, and they, uh, in fact, they, they brought like Race Forward to Dallas yeah. uh, the, a couple years ago or three years ago. Um, now, um, so there's you know a couple kind of allies that we're in conversation with, 
and we're in conversation with other people. Uh, the Natural Sculpture Center's actually been, uh, you know, pretty great, at least in terms of hosting things. And so we're trying, because we know it takes resources, mm-hmm. and we know that part of our work is really trying to get, uh, we, we think of us like, we just need to get a pot of money and give it to the people who need it. Um, because, uh, you know, that's that's hasn't been happening. Like, there's there's money, it's just not getting to the people who can most benefit from that um and that's kind of our challenge yeah and i think that that's something that i always talk about within baltimore because we have something similar obviously we have a center art district that to me center i guess would be station north is to me the most central in the city um a lot of resources are going to station north it essentially only started existing about what 10 years ago max something like that mm-hmm. uh, and now it does a lot of cool work and there are a lot of great things happening in station north but you're right we do have so much of this city that is not being touched by those resources both money wise and also just human capital like there are not people to do this work though we do have mica which is one of the best art schools in the country probably even in the world but those people aren't always being funneled back into those parts of the city that aren't getting those resources so i think that a conversation like this with the Walters, which gets you know br- draws a big aud- audience, and also we'll be talking about those issues that we're all in some way complicit in, and you know both purposely and you know on accident, I guess. So I think it's really important to have this conversation, and I think Sheila, the work that you do with Art Partide, tell tell people a little bit more about kind of the work that you do there. So, um, so as you know, it uh, started in 2015 when we as artists of color was walking around Baltimore City seeing all of this DIY space and and white groups were getting together and calling themselves collective calling themselves collectives and getting in buildings and having all of this space and getting grants and we we're like hold up the brown people was like we want to do that I, w- I would like to be able to do theater in that building downtown and so we put up a flyer, and the flyer said, is Baltimore segregated? Do you feel that um, we are lacking power? Um, if so, holler back. And so when we put it at Red Emma's, uh, we didn't expect white people to say anything. So we put it for ourselves. So we just thought, you know, the black people was like, yeah, get, let's get down and talk about this. But some white artists uh, from MICA answered the 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 thing and said, hey, we're talking about this too. We're having feelings about this too. We're like, get out of here. You lying. <laughs> it was like, no, for real. We really talk about this amongst ourselves as white artists, how we can uh, improve this scenario. And so then we all met and uh, we talked and then that was the first art part-time meeting um, when we had a Facebook invite. 200 people said, oh yeah, we'll come. We'll come. 500 people showed up. Wow. Yeah. 60% white, 40% black. And we stayed there. We had a panel of artists. We stayed there for three to four hours. And it wasn't bull crap. And it wasn't (laughs) fluffy. It was straight up raw in your face. And then we had um, some people meeting as a result. Um, And so that was two years ago. And people are still engaged. So now we have monthly meetings. Um... Uh, at places and and Micah has been um, really instrumental and in given us space, um, so that's been happening. And so you can join the Facebook page is Art Part Tide A R T P A R 
T-H-I-E-D. Um, you can join that. We have up to a thousand plus uh, members, and the yes. membership is all over. It's not yeah. just Baltimore. Um, it's a great group. I'm also a part of that group. Yeah, and you can put stuff on there. Like, we don't care. Like, you could put some of the racist, whatever stuff um, you want to talk about, you can put on there. And we also have been a place where we can have these heavy conversations, like when white pe- when white artists uh, appropriate black art. We've been having conversations about that. We've been having conversations about um, space. So, and I want to have a conversation about grants. Um, so we have been that vehicle in Baltimore, but again, there's no funding. I would love to do more things, but again, I yeah, it's just you. And I don't got no money, but but we are uh, a group of folk who 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 want to talk about this topic because it is passionate um, and um, it's necessary. Because because Imani, remember we were at the spot in. Uh, the, the that was the, the first festival. Time. The festival, yes. yes, yeah. It was really cool. Yeah, we, Sheila and I met. I, we met through the show, obviously, but we also met at Fields Festival, which was an outdoor music festival last year, DIY in uh, in Western Maryland, technically, but it was basically a bunch of Baltimore-based artists going there, uh, and we met and had a whole conversation about equity. And you're right, it was really great and it really was powerful. Awesome, because they invited me out, Malika. Shout out to Malika, um, and they invited me out, and and I'm not young, and and it was like so cool. So we're in the middle of this big giant festival where uh, clothing is not an option. Yes, clothing optional. You can yes. <laughs> swim, drink, party, and we're having a conversation about race in the middle of it during the day, and people were engaged. Yeah, that was that's, like, that sounds that wonderful. Was dope. It was that really was cool. Dope, that man. sounds really that cool. That was dope because they said that's what they want to do. They want to talk about this. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that when we think about in the context of this panel, how do you guys see museums playing into this? How do you see or rather institutions in general? Because I've been talking about that with a lot of people. You know, I, I like went into a lecture with Kim Drew and Kim Drew was kind of saying that she believes that institutions need to exist, but there also should be options. And then uh, I saw like Thelma Golden, who's also kind of in the same institutional type of spaces. Um, but what are your, your what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I believe, you know, in the idea of a cultural ecology mm-hmm. and that it really takes, you know, grassroots spaces, DIY spaces are just as essential uh, to healthy cultural ecology as museums or universities or what have you and everything in between. Um, but with museums and larger institutions in particular, I think their challenge is to do more than just have a conversation mm-hmm. because a conversation doesn't have real states for them. Um, so I, for me, I don't believe that you're serious about cultural equity until I see you shifting your resources, until I see you changing your board composition, Mm. um, until I see your staff, until equitable wages, until you're going to pay Sheila for her emotional and intellectual labor. You know, like that's, that's what we're talking about. And that's what seriousness looks like. It's not just having the conversation is what you do after the conversation and how you're really going to change your institutions. Most institutions just want to talk. Yeah, yeah. And and for me, you physically should change some things. Um, museums traditionally are these cold, sterile, white places that have a lot of things that you can't touch. Mm-hmm. So it's not for you. So I I want to see some color, first of all. 
Yeah. I don't see any color. I don't see reds. I don't see greens. I just see one color, white or gray. Um, and if you are asking me to come into your, your spot, then you really should welcome me. You should have somebody in the front looking out for me um, and greeting me with a smile as opposed to this this structure type of like hospital setting. Yeah. And I also I think we've talked about this before, too, um, thinking about accessibility. And we often think about accessibility on kind of two different spectrums of like some people who have disabilities specifically who need a special special accommodations for their disability. But then they also think about accessibility as far as money. But there's got to be a middle ground there because there are a lot of social um uh, I guess, norms that people are not taught on purpose, right? These institutions are, are put in place. These norms are put in place to keep people out. Right. And there has to be a way of budging that. Yeah. And I would add there's also accessibility in terms of comfort and programming yes. yeah. uh, because the space I co-run at Studios, uh, one of the things, you know, for a while there's this thing like, you know, young, black, brown people in Dallas don't care about culture. They don't go to museums. They do that. And so, you know, we turned over, we have a 20,000 square foot space. We turned it over uh, to the community, the program for a year. Um, And it was amazing, you know, like three or four things a week, hundreds of people at each thing. It was very hip hop. It was very youth culture, Mm -hmm. graffiti, things of that nature. And um, and in, in some cases, you know, there was a charge and things and, you know, these 17, 18, 19, 20, you know, $20. They don't know where they found it, but they they found it some way. Right. And, as, uh, and it was really just, no, people, young people, people of color do care about culture, but they care about the culture that they're interested in right. and that reflects them. Right. And the disconnect is that that is not what the larger institutions are programming, thinking about, or providing, or even have the capacity to provide. Yeah, right. and there's also this idea, that something else that I heard at this Thelman Golden lecture, I went to the David Driscoll Center at University of Maryland, it was great, um, but she said that she talked to someone who was told by a social worker when she was younger that black people not only don't care about art but cannot create art like we are not art as people right and so what this artist did I I cannot believe I'm spacing on the name right now this artist went into Harlem and took physical frames that you would see in museums and then just had people take pictures of themselves in the frames as in I am art so I think that the first step is obviously realizing that black people care and black people have buying power to actually change whole systems but also people have been telling black people that they're not art forever right like especially not black american art so it's like oh well you know this african mask from a country that we will not name that's art but you in graffiti that's that's not art that's lowbrow so i think also kind of shifting that conversation and making that more normalized is important too right because this is western canon standards yes for everything and that is so untrue and it's so unfair like to be to be said that you are not art or that's something that's far from you is such a lie and it's such it's so hurtful um i i came up from the 70s and i came up where there was a lot there were resources all over the place um art was so important in my elementary school um just as important as math and i and i came up through that and knowing my history, and so I thought everybody else did. So, so I was never told no. 
Like, Sheila, what you want to do? You can do it. And I spent my elementary years doing murals because I talked too much in class. And so they wanted to stop me from disrupting the class. So they gave me some pens and pencils and say, all right, you do the Christmas mural. So I find myself being independent, walking around, doing all of this art. And that's all I know. So I'm really spoiled. And so the whole apartheid thing is to touch those folk who think, who believe the hype. Like, it's a lie, y'all. You are so beautiful and colorful and rich and gorgeous and 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 they hating. They hating because you still, for some reason, are able to stand despite yeah. everything that happened to you during history. You can stand up. That is real. So so we we're trying to change those narratives. You know, I I want to I want to do art in, in places that that you wouldn't expect it to be um so like i said i i work with kids who are, are autism and we're putting on a play like that's great that is so for me i'm like i'm, I'm tearing up because they get it they mm-hmm. get it so so again i'm just trying to spread art all around yeah and i i just want to jump in like when we when we think about uh, the 70s um or even early 80s and our country uh one of the important things to keep in mind in our organizational strategies is the dwindling amount of public support for the arts. Oh, yeah. Um, Because if you look at, of course, uh, the NEA and, um, you know, other agencies be under attack, but the fact it's been squeezed for decades already, and that translates down to the state, that translates down to public education. And so I think particularly for people of color, the privatization of arts resources and funding hasn't done us any justice. Not at um, all. And so I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's so important to organize locally and statewide and nationally in the political process and having arts funding be one of those key things, I think, uh, alongside, you know, issues of housing and other things that health care are so important. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I was reading about the, the, the wealth disparity and how it said uh, 90% of white families uh, have wealth, 90%. Yeah, and wealth looks different for everyone, but right. wealth is still usually means they have a piece of property. Right. Um, either they like even the, credit. Even, yeah, credit is good. All of those things. Right. So that means 10% are, are not. And that's what we are struggling with. Like, right. I got to fight and compete for 10%. Um, and so that makes you think, who is able to do art? Do right. I have to be rich to do yeah. art? Uh, Which yeah. is crazy. And also thinking about generational wealth of just, like, um, I bought my own car, right, when I graduated college. But a lot of people I know were given cars, mm, right? So yeah. getting a free car versus me, I have a car note, which yeah. is not fun, right. is generational wealth. And no right. one, I'm sure they're not like, my parents aren't rich. And that's that's probably true. But that is a way of understanding how wealth goes generationally. And when it comes to art, most of these, you know, uh, what do they call it, collections that are like gifted, mm-hmm. these endowments are generational. You know, right. my parents did not collect art. If I started collecting, my grandkids would maybe be able to gift that to the Walters one day. But it does take generations to rebuild that. And white people have had way more access to that in the past hundreds of years. And the the other thing is that 
like if I'm hungry and I'm home and I'm a single mother and I'm just trying to get my needs met, am I thinking about art? Am I thinking about a song? Am I thinking about painting a picture? No. Thinking about getting I'm them needs met. I'm thinking about how can I keep stay in this house? How can I feed my children? How can I survive? And and so that's why this equity thing is beyond just you give me a grant. Like I need space to even be in my thoughts, and that that ain't happening. No, absolutely. It ain't. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's space. And then it's also, I think, changing how we even consider what art even is. Right. Um, because, you know, thinking about that single mother, um, it's like how often during her day is she being empowered? Mm-hmm. Um, is she having experiences that do that? And there's lots of different ways, I think, that one can do that as as an artist and provide that space as an artist um and part of it is i think you have to eventually and this drove us you know in dallas to work so closely politically in lots of different ways is because there are there are other needs and and you literally have to change the structures and the conditions around neighborhoods um and around your city to meet those needs and um, and I believe that artists can do that. Right. Yeah. Um, so we actually have to kind of wrap up. So just for our listeners, uh, this is a conversation that took place at the Walters Art Museum. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much thank for coming you. on. Uh, again, I was talking to Sheila Gaskins, who is founder of Art Partide, performance artist, poet, stand-up comic, friend of The Steiner Show, member of the Theater Action Group, writer, director of Last House Standing, yeah. who she also won a grant from Alternate Roots, which we're all going to go to now. Daryl Ratcliffe, who's a social practice artist based in Dallas, Texas, co-founder of The Ash Studios, member of the Michelada Think Tank, and recipient of many artist awards from the Dallas Museum of Art, Nasher Sculpture Center, and the Office of Cultural Affairs in Dallas. And we're going to have to take a quick break, and then after this, we'll have another segment from The Signer Show. <laughs> <laughs> 